Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is episode 491 of the Comedy Film Nerds podcast, special episode drop. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Graham Elwood is on tour in Australia right now, so I I thought it was only appropriate that I'd bring an Australian comedian on to the podcast to uh, maybe come almost like a cultural swap. I thought I was going to be Graham. Yeah. Hey, I got a Batman t-shirt on. Want to see my chest? Yeah. Um, you know what? We're going to leave that free form if you want to do that. Absolutely. Okay. I think I, I think I just read several listeners' minds and they said, yeah. don't, please. <laughs> please don't allow him to continue. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't recognize that voice immediately, it is Steel Saunders. Hey, you guys. Mm-hmm. How you doing? And uh, we're very excited because we wanted to do a special drop too because you know what dropped, obviously. Mandalorian. Oh, my God. It's... Uh, but uh, a, a swift jetpack to the face. It really was. It really was. So we're going to get into that in a minute. But I did want to mention a couple of things right out of the gate. One of them is the Rise of the Kung Fu Dragon Master Kickstarter is now uh, live. It's in its uh, um, full launch um, uh, we got the soft launch done. It's in full launch mode, and we've gotten all the tiers kind of tweaked to give you guys a little more value. There's a hard copy of the book now on all of the tiers above uh, $30, so there's a lot more value in each of the tiers. So when you guys to look at it. The other thing I wanted to talk to you guys about is that we're going to kind of combine this last Kickstarter at, with kind of saying goodbye to comedy film nerds. So what we're doing is if you make a pledge – uh, and you leave a comment on the Kickstarter page, we will read your comments uh, on the air as we wind down to uh, our last uh, studio show on December 10 and then our last live show on December 12th. So please pledge. Uh, would love to go out with a last, last funded Kickstarter as we wrap up Comedy Film Nerds. And I will start that right now with Amy Reinhardt. Much appreciated, Amy. She wrote, because I couldn't give more before when I was struggling, I can give more now that I'm stable and thriving. Glad to hear it, Amy. Thanks for 10 years of Kitten Hands, boys. I hope this becomes the film you dream it to be. See you in L.A. regardless. So make your comment. Uh, if you want to say goodbye to CFN, you want to tell us about your favorite film, you uh, just want to get something off your chest, just um, you know, don't make it insane. Don't make it weird. Just, uh, make it, um, how should I put it, Steele? Make it, uh, like, like it'd be okay to say in polite society, maybe. No, make it better than that. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, the bar for polite society has lowered somewhat, so, um, aim high. Yeah. Aim high. So, really appreciate it. This is a, uh, Kickstarter project that's been near and dear to my heart. I've been working on it to try to get it made for, uh, for a couple of years now, and I'm really happy with the way the graphic novel is is turning out. And it's if you like, you know, um, Bruce Campbell, Army of Darkness, action, comedy, martial arts, dragons, monsters, kung fu, jokes, um, surly baristas, <laughs> food trucks, and a love story and a redemptive story. It's all kind of mixed uh, genre, all into one story. So please check it out. Go to ComedyFilmNerds.com. You could click directly to the project, or you could go to Kickstarter.com and just uh, type in Rise of the Kung Fu Dragon Master. So please check it out. It would mean the world to me as we wrap up if I could uh, get this last project funded. So thanks again, guys. Much appreciated. All right, Steel. So let's get into it. Mandalorian. Now, first of all... Um, the Disney Plus streaming service, when I heard about this, I was like, okay, we'll see. Then the more I heard about it, oh, The Mandalorian, okay, I'm in. And then I heard uh, there was a little secret promotion through the Disney Fan Club where you could get three years for like $4 a month. I did that. I went all in. I okay. was like, I'm ready. You, you might be misusing the word secret. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right about that. <laughs> yeah, it was a uh, it was a promotional secret, which meant, oh, you're in on the uh, uh, the secret. No, one, no, no, everyone knows. <laughs> <laughs> I think the whole email list might yeah, have got yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> true enough. True enough. But, um, yeah, I sort of didn't. When they announced the like the whole streaming service, I was like, "Oh, Mandalorian!" Like, yes, I've got Star Wars. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I watch. Like, it it didn't really hit me because I'm sort of so focused mm-hmm. and, and and so narrow beamed. But Jackie last night, we were about to watch Mandalorian, and she just started scrolling around the menus, and she went into the Disney thing, and she was freaking out, mm-hmm. like. 
just like she was filming the menu screen <laughs> to send back to her sister in Australia saying, mm-hmm. oh, my God, it's like, oh, my God, Aladdin, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Aristocats. And yeah. like she was just peaking. So I think it's. It goes into the Disney vault. Yeah. There was all, mm-hmm. there was, they had um, Steamboat Itchy. Steamboat Willie, but uh, <laughs> yeah. they had that on there. But um, yeah, it was interesting to see someone that wasn't so focused on like sort of one sort of genre or, or right. brand, mm-hmm. just like freaking out of mm-hmm. like like where me and my son are about to go to, back to Australia for a week, and uh, she's planning a uh, a big week of digi- mm-hmm. Disney catch up in our um, abandoned. But ten million signups. Insane, yeah, ten million, and I, I like uh, you really have to start doing some searches to do the deep dive because the menus only kind of give you a taste of what's available. Like I was thinking, it'd be great to uh, you know share with my kids those old live action Disney movies that we grew up with, like Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea and Treasure Island. Uh, I, honestly, I haven't seen them in years. I don't know how well they'll hold up, but um, they're there. They're there. You could you could, if you do the searches, they're there. You could watch them. Oh my god, it's um. It, it is, it was, it's dense. Mm-hmm. So uh, Jackie was, she was like, oh, goodbye, Netflix. It's like, <laughs> just a new. And, yeah. and, and then I, I dropped the nugget that, uh, is it next year they get every Seinfeld episode? It's, it, it, they're working on more libraries for sure. I'm not sure. but They signed uh, a thing. Sense. I'm not sure when it clicks over. Right. But, but they're getting Seinfeld and she's sort of like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> There's, it'll keep us busy for uh, a long time. And I'll tell you, The Mandalorian, they, I, I'm thinking they did a smart thing. It's amazing how things are going full circle. Like, uh, we didn't get all the episodes at once. It's like, no, they're going back to the model of, like, you're getting one a week. <laughs> Sorry. When, whenever, like, you just mentioning mm-hmm. that they don't get each episode, the thought mm-hmm. of maybe if they did it, it a quiver. Mm-hmm. It, it, it'd be so unfun. Yeah. Because... It's just like with all the reveals and like the special little Easter eggs in there, mm-hmm. like I want a week to like watch it and then- And then rewatch it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and then talk about it, listen to people's mm-hmm. podcasts about how they broke it down, mm-hmm. watch like Easter mm-hmm. egg videos and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I, I wonder, I, I feel like the Stranger Things fandom would be bigger if it was- they did it over the 12 weeks or whatever because there'd be a culture around it, like, you know, with, like, YouTube videos and and podcasts. Like, I'm sure people that are super organized can do that, but I've never listened to a Stranger Things recap podcast because I just watched them all. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 binge, and I'm noticing, too, with my, uh, with my daughter because she's in high school now that um, there's almost a pressure to binge the shows that everyone's watching because everyone's talking about it. I'm like, oh, well, you can't be one behind, and then you'll get spoilers. So I, I think there's a, it's a weird thing where I, uh, you know, at first it was like, oh, great, I get all the episodes at once. Now I'm looking back, I'm like, I don't know if I need all the episodes at once. No, I, <laughs> I like the, um, the anticipation, mm-hmm. to quote the great Jacques. <laughs> um, every episode of The Simpsons on there as well. Yes, is, although oh, messed up, though. They messed up the aspect ratio. That's mm-hmm. like they did a crop. Like they, they cropped it down to like like 16 by 9 or something. They did a weird thing where like the original episodes were a different aspect ratio. They were 4 by 3. And then when they um, they stretched them to the 16 by 9 to make them widescreen. So they did a weird thing where it gets cropped and stretched. So you miss jokes. And then also close-ups look weird and like uh, um, distorted. So, it was cropped and stretched. Yeah. Wouldn't it just yeah. be cropped? It's, it's a weird thing. Like I don't know like um, – because I was looking at the shots on, online where – some of the stuff was cropped where it like, well, that makes no sense. Why would you crop it? You're losing jokes. And then there's one where it's like uh, a face is stretched. I'm like, well, that, that makes no sense either. And the reason is is because, you know, it was one of those shows that started in a four by three mm. and then it, it eventually went to high def. But here's the thing. Just leave it alone. You know, Netflix does that. You know, you just leave it in four by three. I can see black bars on the left and right of my screen. It's not going to make me crazy. I'd rather see it the way it was anticipated, like the original Star Trek, watching it on DVD. It's not going to fill up my whole widescreen. When I watch Seinfeld on DVD, Mm -hmm. I do like to zoom it into 16 by nine. Yeah. (laughs) I just, it it just. Well, maybe give us the option where you could do either. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, yep. But I, yeah, I don't. I don't like the black bars. And it sort of gives it a, um, gives Seinfeld a much needed modern look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the, um, 
like the the production value. Apparently, this is like a hundred million dollar TV show, so it's like ten million dollars or twelve million dollars an episode. It doesn't surprise me because if you're, I mean, you're not only driving subscriptions. This is like uh, this is the knock on the door. Here's what to expect. Like if they went cheap on this one it would have a trickle-down effect that they would not want. I'm like, oh, this is what we're going to get for original content. Uh, so I, it makes sense that this is where they would spend the most money. Now, we don't, we're not, we don't have access to the Disney budgets, so we don't know if like this is the one they're spending the most money on, then the other one's maybe a little cheaper. Mm. But I have to say, as I was watching this um, first episode, it looked absolutely fantastic. It had this amazing cinematography of like a Western and science fiction combined, mm. which is was really, really cool. So I, I got into it like right away. Yeah, the opening scene is very, and we won't like spoil anything because not everyone, not even, like it's only- um, Even if you have Disney Plus, you may not have been able to see it yet because well, of the tech issues. And you can only get it in North America and the Netherlands. Oh, the I didn't know that. Okay. And then Australia, New Zealand and next week. Okay. And then Europe and the UK, 31st of March. Oh, wow. Why so, so late? Apparently, I, they haven't really said, which I think is mm-hmm. rude. I yeah. Like they, I sort of feel like they deserve, like, just say it's a rights thing. Or, yeah. Or we're something. waiting for Brexit to work out. Just mm-hmm. something about that. But um, Pirate Bay, by all reports, is lit. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Mandalorian's doing um, huge downloads <laughs> around the world. And I, it doesn't surprise me. It's mm-hmm. like you, you get people around the world hooked on their junk. Yeah. And then they're gonna they're gonna commit crimes when you you make fun illegal. The only people to have fun are criminals. Yeah. Something like that. Is that a saying? Well, you know, a lot of times too with a streaming show and a new service, they make that first episode for free anyway to get you hooked in. Like CBS did that with Star Trek. Ah. So so it wouldn't be surprising if it was like they're kind of looking the other way on this first one. But then the Disney lawyers will come out of their, uh, you know, their bunker and then uh, start to go after everything yeah i wonder how that will um if the pirate bay will get a another they'll disappear for a little bit mm-hmm. but um yeah the opening scene it's just like it's such a cliche western yes that has been licensed to star wars mm-hmm. and it it sets up the only thing that was missing were like the uh saloons swinging doors no they were there but so they that, were licensed to star wars yeah yeah <laughs> if you remember they, they've star wars up the uh saloon doors right and uh they're a lot more vicious mm-hmm. but um towards the end of that scene like it's all pretty bait like it's it's sort of basic sort of sci-fi channel level you know stuff you know at, at the top end but then towards the end of that opening scene where a, uh, a creature appears mm-hmm. and you can sort of see it coming, you could sort of just see the budget rack up mm-hmm. like a, like a, like a, um, like a fundraiser toll right. as it came out. <laughs> the, the creature revealed himself and it's like million dollars, yeah. $2 million. <laughs> but oh, I, opening up space, uh, spaceships and uh, cities and uh, droids. Okay. More and more and more money as we're, as we're uh, watching. And you know, they just sort of filmed that down below LAX. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of those, like um, the scene where there's the shootout mm-hmm. towards the end, that's just an open air set, like between like a train line and a car park, like just down near the airport. Oh, that's great. And then all the um, interior stuff was filmed at some high tech studio in Manhattan Beach. Mm-hmm. And they're using these giant like 5D or 5K screens mm-hmm. to project a lot of that scenery there. So a lot of it, when the actors are there, they can see. Oh, so they can actually see it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So they sort of know what the set will be like. And they mm. haven't really released much making of to mm. explain how that works. But a lot of the actors say how like amazing it was that. It, That's in the pipeline, the making ofs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you could almost like walk into the wall. Right. Sort of thing. And, um, because I actually, one of the bounty hunters that hasn't had a featured role yet, but in a couple more episodes, he was glimpsed closely, uh, like really quickly. His name is Gecko. But um, that guy is played by Dominic Pace, who was just mm-hmm. on the latest Steel Wars. And he's like, he was like such a Star Wars nerd that he was on Entertainment Tonight in like 99 as a hyped up fan for the Phantom Menace. And he's showing all his Hasbro figures and stuff. Mm-hmm. And now he's uh, on set. Oh, that's like amazing. Playing a bounty hunter. So, mm-hmm. you know, purely living the dream. But he said, yeah, that stuff you could almost like 
walk through the wall. It, wow. it, it projects so much. But it was um, after seeing the set photos, how they've like blended that with the CGI backgrounds and stuff is like it's amazing. I hope they um, they sort of reveal how that all that happens. Well, it's. You know, Star Wars has always been a great blend of practical and digital effects, and they know when to use each. And uh, have they always known? So, when to use each? <laughs> no, no. But uh, uh, there, there are some exceptions. But uh, uh, lately, I think the balance. I think J.J. Abrams kind of um, set the tone for when he did, you know, Episode uh, um, Eight. Not eight, seven. <laughs> where it's Fake like, fan. okay, yeah, this is um, this is where we're going to use practical. This is where we're going to use digital. This is where they used it in the original. This is where we're adding on to it. Like I felt like there was a real um, concentrated effort to get that mix right. Yeah, use and, what works best. Yeah, and what mm. like helps the actors. Yeah, yeah, and make it seem like real world. Like if everything is computer, it looks like you know you have an actor in the middle of a video game. It really it doesn't look quite right. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. I, I just don't buy it. But this, like, I was sort of like, I've watched it a couple of times and, like, on the third watch, I was sort of trying to look in the backgrounds and stuff and mm-hmm. it's it's flawless. And for a TV show, there's just some incredible vistas. There's that, that cracked planet where the, yeah. the animals are jumping mm-hmm. over and stuff. And it's, like, the story is great and, and by the end I could not, like, I am, I cannot wait for this Friday. And and if you're on the fence, watch it as soon as you can, mm-hmm. because there are things that will spoil the experience for you. Uh, but the um, how they tie the story in to the whole Star Wars like mythology mm-hmm. in in like a really surprising way, I was just like, yep. Now let's go to a bit of a deep dive here. How does the Mandalorian tie into Boba Fett and the race of Mandalorians? Okay, so apparently the Mandalorians, they are a race, but they also adopt people into their tribe as well. Mm-hmm. So the Mandalorian in the show, he says he's a foundling, mm-hmm. so, which means he's not of like Mandalorian Blood. like, bloodline, but he's mm-hmm. like being sort of raised in the culture. And from... What we know from like the the Clone Wars cartoon is that Boba Fett wasn't a Mandalorian. He was a clone of his father who wasn't a Mandalorian, but I think was like not Mandalorian blood, but he was in the Mandalorian culture. And something bad has happened to the Mandalorian people that we don't know about, which they mention in the episode called The Purge. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, flashback scenes of, like, um, like battle droids attacking um, a young The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. He hasn't got a name yet, mm-hmm. although Pedro Pascal accidentally revealed the name in an interview in the last 24 hours. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, he's not related to Boba Fett, like in that way, and and they still haven't revealed in the new Star Wars canon whether Boba Fett does survive the Sarlacc pit or not. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, so there's a lot of theorizing whether they'll. Well, they'll, in the comics, he did. He came out with his jetpack. Yeah, in the mm-hmm. new canon, mm-hmm. because all that stuff got sort of like decanonized mm-hmm. up until when Disney bought it. Because mm-hmm. and, and and George Lucas never had any like interaction with it, and would override it whenever he saw fit sort of thing. So mm-hmm. he sort of treated that as like a, um, yep, that's just them doing fun. They've lost, you know, they're just mm-hmm. doing their thing, but it's not part of my world. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to go in a direction because of that. Um, and then so the culture's had this big fall and so this Mandalorian is sort of maybe a, a little bit like the Jedi in Star Wars, like this sort of rare commodity, mm-hmm. you know, like... Um, the uh, Ugnaught, which are the little pig-faced men from The Empire Strikes Back. Yes. Played, there is an Ugnaught in this, played by Nick Nolte. I know. And I, I saw the credits. I'm like, well, Nick Nolte? I don't remember seeing Nick Nolte. <laughs> if you look in his eyes, mm-hmm. he's got Nick Nolte's eye. It, mm-hmm. It's the, uh, the weirdest thing, how they got Nick Nolte's face on this little mm-hmm. Ugnaught. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... He sort of comments how he's, oh, I've, I've never met a Mandalorian, but I've, mm-hmm. you know, if what I've read is true, then. Yeah. So obviously. Known by reputation. Le- yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they're quite legendary and they're, now they're like pretty sparse in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. But all the little, like, 
But it seems like there's an organized uh, bounty hunting guild, though. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, which is um, headed up by Carl Weathers. Yes, which is awesome. Action oh, my Jackson. God. <laughs> he, he just kills it. But there's, there's so many little Star Wars nuggets, like weird things that don't have to be there. Right. Like, um, I always, like, in Return of the Jedi, how that, that pig dog out the front of Jabba's palace eats yeah, something. Yeah. And mm-hmm. in The Force Awakens, that weird headworm sticks up after mm. Ray walks past it. Like there's there's little things that sort of, they're just like a little bit of seasoning. Mm-hmm. And th- this episode is littered with oh, yeah. just like little in-world things. Now, did you notice like this, this hit me, uh, I don't know, maybe I was projecting on this, but as uh, the Mandalorian's walking through the city and he's like knocking on the door, I'm like looking up at the way the architecture is and above him, I'm like, that kind of looks like Batu, where they uh, made the new Star Wars <laughs> land at the uh, in the theme parks. Like the the architecture looked very similar. There were mm-hmm. angles of when he mm-hmm. was walking around where I was mm-hmm. like, "You could have told me that." Like if I hadn't seen the set photos, mm-hmm. you could like tell me that that was at Batu, right? Because I always thought it'd be really cool if they did film like a scene that's set on Batu in there for something, yeah, just so people would be like. I've been on a set. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. that's such an, an, an extra really special thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of like rehashed things from the the other films or the films and then just just like cool little additions. Like um, there's, there's, there's Space Uber with Brian yes, Persane. Yes, I know. That was great. <laughs> Brian Persane's yeah. part of some Space mm-hmm. Uber operation. Yeah. And uh, what was his last word? It was, uh, hey, um, stay off the ice. <laughs> and he should have taken his own advice. <laughs> but, like, it's, like, even, like, that Space Uber thing was run by a, a, a Gardenian or whatever, but it's the same species that um, dobbed Luke Skywalker into the Empire on Tatooine, that mm-hmm. spy guy. With the snout. Yeah. There was one of them. And yeah, there's just so many just delicious little like bizarre Star Wars things in it. They must have had an Easter egg department at the Mandalorian. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's written, it's, it's written primarily by um, John Favreau. Yes. Who sort of had the story in his head apparently since college, like what, the, the universe was like sort of after the oh return of the God. Jedi War. Can you imagine after college and he's probably said to his friends, someday I'm going to get to make this. And they're like, you're crazy, Favreau. It's never going to happen. I'll do it, Vince Vaughn. Yeah. I'll do it. <laughs> now, I got to tell then, you. Oh, then, sorry, it's just directed. Yeah. That episode was directed by Dave Filoni. Yes. Who, that's your Star Wars Easter egg guy. Pretty he, much. He made Star Wars Rebels and he mm-hmm. worked under George Lucas and like – he, he he went to Star Wars Celebration before he had anything to do with Star Wars. He's he's been in the Star Wars camp for a while. Yeah, he. Um, many people have said over the last month that he's like the Charlie Bucket of Star Wars. <laughs> George Lucas invited him into the factory, yeah. and then and then you know in a mm-hmm. way, mm-hmm. Um, like left it to him. Mm-hmm. And and George Lucas was um, on set for the first day of filming. Really? Yeah, of of this episode under duress, or he wanted to be there. Well, he is actually, there is um, some very sensitive Star Wars topics broached Mm -hmm. in the first episode. I am being as vague as possible Mm -hmm. and anyone that's seen it knows what I'm talking about. And he was sort of um, consulted really closely about how to craft that. Mm -hmm. But um, on on, a sweet plug for the podcast, Mm -hmm. but on the the new Steel Wars, Dominic was there with with George Lucas Mm -hmm. and said he was like, Seem to be having, in a George Lucas level, a pretty good time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's very uh, subdued. Wow, then that's um, that's a win. <laughs> that's a, you know, <laughs> I, I got to tell you my favorite part of the episode, and you know, I, I liked um, the entire thing, but there was one, just, and it wasn't an action sequence. It was just one moment that I found really, really interesting, and it's in the trailer is when the Mandalorian goes to meet um, the guy that's going to give him this kind of off-the-record bounty, and his bodyguards are these stormtroopers, but all of their uniforms are dirty and uh, almost like uh, they haven't been maintained. So you get the impression that, okay, these are either guys that have stolen stormtrooper uniforms and, you know, because they can't afford their own armor, they're using them, or 
there are stormtroopers who are out of work now. Mm. So either way, I thought it was really cool because, well, that's what would happen. You know, the Empire keeps a very tight clean ship you know there was never a speck on any stormtroopers uniform yeah but so now this would be the decay like well what would the stormtroopers do or or what would happen to the armor if someone killed a stormtrooper and then we're like well no i need this armor now i'm I'm just gonna keep it they wouldn't keep it pristine it would start to look dirty and decayed and i thought that was a really cool um uh just way to go because that i think that was what would happen yeah and when you don't have like the infrastructure around the empire you mm-hmm. know you don't have you, you haven't got access to a good washing machine no <laughs> the, the star destroyers had some, yeah. some mm-hmm. pristine yeah uh cleaners in there you know but no mouse droids to pick up your well laundry <laughs> exactly they actually they do vacuum the floor yeah. in the star wars universe they, yeah. they have many uh many uh, yep. little messenger sort of things but one of they do vacuum as they go mm-hmm. which is handy <laughs> but um yeah it was such a good bit of sort of world building that you know why are these stormtroopers that, that it seems like um i always say this guy's name the wrong way around it's it's Werner Herzog no is it Herzog, Herzog, I've heard it. Yeah, but it's Werner. I, I, Werner. I, yeah. I, I, I said on one podcast, Herner Werzog. <laughs> <laughs> and he's um I like I I'm showing my ignorance here, but I had very little knowledge of him. And I know like people that are more cultured in um in the world of movies and entertainment. Yes. Very much he's got a bit him. of a resume. But he's um been on his I don't know anything about this I swear to God tour in the mm-hmm. last two weeks. He hasn't seen Star Wars. Mm-hmm. He um, has had no idea what films John Favreau would ever made. Mm-hmm. He's just like in every interview, people are asking about stuff. He's like, no, I, I, why do I need to see a Star Wars movie mm-hmm. to play this? But he has revealed to keep in touch with the culture of the mm-hmm. planet. He often watches WrestleMania. <laughs> what a touchstone. Yes. He, he's not wrong. <laughs> um, it is. Uh, but, yeah, the Stormtroopers being all – I, I feel like he maybe used to be like an Imperial governor or something and then, you know, they've just scrambled into little sort of guerrilla armies mm-hmm. afterwards because – his offsider, the guy that comes out to um, be very concerned about the bounty. Oh, the um, the professor. Yeah. Yes. He's wearing the imperial science uniform that they wore in Rogue One. Oh, that's interesting. Because I, I tried to place it, and I'm like, well, does it? Would, were they wearing that on the Death Star? It's uh, I, like I couldn't remember. So he's been hanging out in Imperial secret labs before it all fell apart. So, <laughs> and why wouldn't he be when you think about it? That makes that makes perfect sense. <laughs> hey, secret labs, mm-hmm. they, they are decked out like mm-hmm. all the food you can eat. There's like a buffet, ribs, <laughs> soda machine. One of those ones that have got like 162 different variations of Dr. Pepper. It's the best. Now, this is the, this is a big question that people are asking, especially people that uh, are not as familiar with like the Mandalorians and their culture. Uh, Pedro Pascal, is he ever going to take the helmet off? He better. Yeah. I, I'm wondering how sustainable that is for an entire series. Because um, I don't know how much he's actually put it on. Right? <laughs> like, I, I, I don't think a lot of that is... He, like, I'm not sure if he's in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> he does the voicing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I'm not sure how much of it he's actually on set performing. Mm-hmm. Um, I know those that were watching the outdoor set pretty closely, uh, I don't think they caught sight of him down there. So, I, yeah, I, I feel like they've just got like a like an actor – like in there and then he's just doing the voicing but maybe if he takes we, off his helmet honestly we'd never know either way yeah i know <laughs> I, I sort of it sort of makes it weird but i guess it's a real star wars trope like you don't sort of think that james l jones is in darth vader's suit and, <laughs> right and, exactly and then um you know it's uh yeah, and James L. Jones is like in a voice box and Dave Prowse is in the suit and stuff. Yeah, so. yeah. You, you can mix and match in the Star Wars universe. I know, yeah. I know. But just get in the suit. Yeah, get I, down there. I think he should be. I, I'm going to, yeah, it, it's, uh, it would definitely be more effective because if down the road, I mean, we don't know yet, like if he's going to start 
um, taking the helmet off and we see him in, in like, uh, oh, wait, he moves differently than the first three episodes or yeah, something right. like that. We don't, we don't want to see that. Uh, but uh, it made me think of, uh, I'll give you a little trivia question. What's the other comic book character that's been around for years and years and years and has never taken off his helmet and you've never seen his face? Oh, wow. And I'll give you a hint. He was Place. played in a horrible, horrible film adaptation starring Sylvester Stallone and Rob Schneider. Oh, Judge Dredd. Yes. Mm-hmm. He never takes off never his- takes off his helmet. Did mm. did Sylvester Stallone take off his mask in it? He might have, but uh, in the in the actual uh, comic, never you never see his face. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And that sustained for many, many, many years without ever seeing Judge Dredd, Judge Dredd's face. But it's not a TV show. I think it's I think at some point we need to, to in order for us to connect to this character more. I think we need to see his face. Yeah, I. I, I sort of – it'd be super weird if he didn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be ballsy. If it, <laughs> yeah, right. And interestingly enough, um, Gina Carano – It's going to kill him at conventions too. It's like, well, how do we know you're the Mandalorian? <laughs> I think he's fine. I think he's fine. I don't, I don't, I don't know if he's going down yeah. to um, – the the, the Torrance Comic Con to sign a few autographs this week. Um, Yeah, Gina Carano wasn't in it at all. No. Mm -mm. And she's sort of, you know, the big co-star. And I had to double check too because it's like, well, I've seen names now that I didn't remember seeing in the episode because then you're like, oh, no, they were voices or uh, or whatever. Like even the droid was uh, uh, Taika. I never say his name right. Taika Waititi. I I, I was just letting you yeah. sink with that one. <laughs> I, was, I was steering clear. But that droid, IG-11. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Big Loved fan. It. So good. So good. And uh, I would love to know, too, because it was so seamless, were some parts digital, were some parts practical, like were the close-ups practical, or were – because obviously the digital when he's walking is uh, – is, is, uh, you could tell, but – some of the close-ups, I'm like, mm, not quite sure. Yeah, I'm not sure, but there was one on set. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if that was just used as like a filming reference right. or you actually get to see bits of it um, on the set. But the way like IG-88, who was like one of the bounty hunters in Empire Strikes Back. I remember. And you literally only saw him in one scene. Uh, with all the bounty hunters. And his eye moves. Yes. And that's it. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's quite iconic because he was a Kenner action figure. Yes, and, and, I remember. And that sort of... That's bit- when Kenner was looking for more action figures to make after they did all the main ones. Like, well, who else can we make in action figures? Dude, <laughs> don't disrespect IGA. He was way up on the list. He was way up on the list. They made General Maydine during Return of the Jedi. Like, it's... Come on. They, he, he, he was a must-have. Yeah. But, um, you know, he never moved. Like, he didn't mm-hmm. like move a, a robotic muscle, right? And this droid, all it does is move. Yeah. like the way mm-hmm. it, and it makes sense. Like, oh well, this would this droid would be designed for bounty hunting because of the way he moves. Yeah, but mm-hmm. like when I was little, I sort of just imagined it like that robot. I think it's from the black hole, and it's just a pretty. Like a just I'm I am walking I am mm-hmm. hunting for you but this it swiveled in ways I couldn't imagine I can't believe I remember the name Maximilian ah mm-hmm. and his his head he's got this like sort of um, cylinder head and that spins and then there's all these other eyes on yes. it and they're spinning mm-hmm. independently looking for new targets right mm-hmm. and he avoided a really frustrating trope of sort of Star Wars droids in the last five years. He's not a sassy robot. Right. Mm-hmm. He's He's got like a very different personality, right. a mm-hmm. very like robotic, because in all the movies there's sort of- Well, you have R2-D2, you have Chopper and Rebels. I mean, they're all yeah, kind of like that. Like, sassy with a mind of their own. L3 in mm. Solo. Like yeah. it's sort of like, I'm not taking your guff. Sort exactly. Of, yeah, um, yeah. You know, robots here, Chopper. And- yeah, this was a really cool departure that it was um, – and in a lot of the books and comics, there's like the, the side droid characters, like, you know, quite a trope. Even on that um, Vader Immortal, the headset game, which is incredible, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's got that robot. But he sort of had a more – like a personality, but a lot more of a, a robotic personality. Yeah. Like it was a really interesting interpretation of what 
a programmed assassin droid's personality would be like. And it like, it made sense. I'm like, okay, target, no empathy. And uh, if things go south, I'm going to blow myself up. <laughs> <laughs> and he's quite funny. Yeah. But then when he goes into, I've got to kill some stuff. He, yeah. He is. And then the music comes in mm-hmm. and it, he is quite daunting. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, I sort of went in watching it. Kind of like, yeah, this will be this will be pretty good. Like, I'm like my heart is sort of more set on the the rise of Skywalker, like to mm-hmm. have that. But I not that far away. I I, I know, mm-hmm. and it was so I was so blown away by it all, and the tie in to link it to the whole saga that is revealed in the um, episode. Like that got me. Like once I got onto that, I was like, yes, mm-hmm. because I like it had all the good things of Star Wars. Um, I didn't have romance, I guess. That's like a big ingredient in Star Wars as well. But it was just not yet. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there was a ton packed in one episode, but it didn't have the Force, right? And like to then like have something that like sort of ties that in. Um, was, uh, it's got to be with a supporting character or something like that because the Mandalorian's not going to use the Force. He's a bounty hunter. He's got bounty force. He's got bounty force. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but can't like I was, I was very much blown away, and yeah. I actually did a um, a Twitter like poll. I love Twitter mm-hmm. polls. Mm-hmm. And it was like, after seeing The Mandalorian, were you blown away, very impressed, was decent mm-hmm. or disappointed? Mm-hmm. And I think it's like 55% very impressed, 35% mm-hmm. blown away, and 1% of people disappointed. So right. Are about- you ever going to have that number at zero? No. No? You can, you can make it. I have. I did work out because it did go down to zero. It depends on how many votes. Right. If, 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 it, if the percentage gets the down math, to under yeah. 0.5 or something. It will round down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, but you know, even so, and, and, you know, who knows if the person that wrote that, like, saw it or whatever. They Maybe yeah. they were disappointed. But, you know, it's it's very striking yeah. that it it's has- Maybe it's, it was somebody who worked at Netflix. Yeah, you know? well, it's <laughs> like 85% very positive response. Right. Which is um, pretty good for the internet. Not sure if you've been there. Well, I, I think- Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Yeah. Speaking of the Wild West. <laughs> but I, I really thought they did a nice job with it. The other thing I really loved about it was it, it didn't- It created that- great balance of here's something new, but we're also, we're not going to forget where we came from. Like we're still going to play in the sandbox in this universe, but we're not going to throw a bunch of shit away just Mm -hmm. to make something new. And that's a mistake that happens a lot in franchises. Like we need to make something new, but well, no, you have to honor what came before. So I thought this uh, struck a really nice balance. So I'm, I'm really excited to see where it goes from here. So am I, I, Mm -hmm. I like it at when it closed in the closing credits, by the way, uh, Gorgeous. Oh, yeah. And uh, of course, you know, I was just thinking of Disney marketing. It's uh, okay. Each one of those will be a limited edition art print in the uh, stores, in the uh, theme parks from now on. Well, that's a very cynical way to put it. But it is, it's sort of biting the style mm-hmm. of a portfolio you used to be able to buy in the 80s. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like you used to get when, a, when, you know, when the original trilogy films come out, you get the Ralph McQuarrie portfolio. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of like a, a cardboard folder um, with sort of widescreen images that are, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe like two foot across, one up. Mm-hmm. And they were on, printed on hardboard sort of thing and you could frame yeah. them and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they were in that same style. So it's interesting you're saying that mm-hmm. they'll market them and it's like- Oh, oh it's, absolutely. It's, 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 it's marketed- it's seeing a marketing product and then putting that into the art. Yes. And then we'll market <laughs> off that. So, but with that sort of stuff where it's like, oh, they're going to just sell stuff. It's like, well, I'm sure thousands of people watching the end credits. Want went, it. I wish these were printed out. Please. Oh, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's both. It's uh, supply and demand and cynical marketing <laughs> at, at the same time because I was looking at, oh, these will definitely be marketed and they'll make a fortune just off these prints. And then at, at the same time, I'm thinking, well, I think I may want one. 
I, the, the podcast, we, we're seeing the, um, you know, in, in the closing days, mm-hmm. I'm sure if you like listen to episode five mm-hmm. and it's like, hey, there's these new Star Wars prints out. Oh, man, giving us fans what we need. Yeah. And then in the last month, it's like, yeah, they're just doing this to sell stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Hollywood. Yeah. Oh. Now this billion-dollar corporation is looking at their bottom line. This is crazy. Um, yeah, so you, you kind of expect it. And uh, I, I remember seeing a couple of tweets a couple, of, uh, I think a day or two ago, people are like, oh, I just, uh, you know, um, even people that are like kind of anti-corporate, yeah, I do kind of love Disney and I'm like, I want to see this show. <laughs> and <laughs> um, Which I, I always found funny. I think I saw one tweet, I can't remember who put it, it was like, um, uh, I hate how much I love Disney. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> I can't so, quit you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we want to get to our Patreon sponsors. We want to thank you guys as we wrap things up for sticking with us to the bitter end. Actually, the sweet end. It's not. It's not too bitter. So, uh, Johnny Rulon's got some short horror stories for sale. Um, the first is called The Shell, and it is a Lovecraftian tale about a neighborhood that loses power and becomes victim to an unknown monster that is waiting in the dark. The second's called She and is about a high school held under the dark spell of an evil cult leader. Check them out on Amazon Kindle for 99 cents, and you can also get them by going to happyhardshowproductions.com. Click on the Buy Short Stories tab. At Fanboy Planet, a website and podcast for all things geeky and amazing, check out Fanboy Planet for your comics needs, your movie news, TV news, and amazing interviews with industry insiders and artists. Fanboyplanet.com. And Coffee Over Suicide, a dramedy podcast about mental illness and choosing life over death, one cup of coffee at a time. New episodes every Wednesday and Friday, wherever podcasts are found. Find out more at coffeeoversuicide.com. That does remind me I need to get coffee on the way. Yes. <laughs> or I might do the second part. Yeah. <laughs> well, see how coffee goes and then, you know, figure it out from there. Oh, if I, oh that feeling of like not having coffee is yeah. like, like when you get, you open the, you pick up the jar mm. and it's way too now, do, do you have a um, one of those Keurigs at home where you can get any flavor you want at any time? No, I just... I'm, or you're a pure, brew purist. I don't know what I am. I'm just like, <laughs> I've got the French press. It makes right. like three giant coffees at once and, mm-hmm. and, and the coffee's very cheap at Trader Joe's. Yeah. So that's, nice. I'm, not, I'm not here to drink the best. I'm here mm-hmm. to drink the most. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the Art Podcast uh, with Rebecca Evans, a podcast that was inspired by the bold artists and leaders who stepped forward, created, and launched the Los Angeles Podcast Festival. Thank you, Rebecca. Forever grateful for that experience. When we move past hesitation and we're true to ourselves, we find our own art and life. Hear inspiring interviews at theartpodcasts.com. Antonio McFadden's 14th book is a gritty Australian noir. The Murder of Jeremy Brooks pits small-town Australian P.I. Dan McInnes against corporate greed and corruption. A Sydney surgeon hires Dan to find her husband's killer. The cops think it was a mugging gun bad. She thinks it was a hit. More info at tonamcfadden.net slash JB. And from Andy Bowman, every week in the Geek 101 podcast, Ariel and Andy get together to discuss, critique, review, and sometimes bicker about the latest in geek news and pop culture. Become a listener and join the conversation by listening to the Geek 101 podcast wherever you download your podcasts. And Jerome Sullivan, calling on Hollywood, Netflix, Disney, especially Disney Plus now, HBO, Amazon. He urges you to go to jcsscreenplays.com uh, to check out the briefs of his completed movie and television scripts, including a murder mystery, a sci-fi action thriller, coming-of-age musical, a horror, rom-com, and more. Check out jcs, that's jcsscreenplays.com, jcsscreenplays.com. And a contemporary classical composer who writes music people actually like, uh, congratulations to Comedy Film Nerds for 10 wonderful years of podcasting. Thank you, David. Uh, DavidHynick.com, H-E-I-N-I-C-K, DavidHynick.com. And we're still waiting for copy for uh, from Scott Gokey and Will Leonard, so let us know when you have your copy, and we will start reading it. Oh, my God. So, I can't believe we've entered an age. I know. Where I hear the term 10 years of podcasting. Yeah, it's insane. It really is. I'm like, what? where did this go? I'm like, especially because we have kids. I'm like, look, and I'm like, oh my gosh, my second um, uh, child actually made us moved out to the office. And I'm thinking like, there used to be a crib and like a changing table in there when we were, when we were starting many years ago. So um, I wanted to talk to you guys too about, I saw the movie Midway that came out over the weekend. That was the uh, Roland Emmerich uh, World War II Historically inaccurate film. <laughs> Where did you see that? I saw it in the movie theater. At That's the, at the so quaint. Yeah, yes. That's so quaint. <laughs> 
And uh, it was the it really needed to be seen on a big screen. Did it? Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure. Um, but it was the kind of movie that, like, I knew what I was getting into. I'm like, okay, this is going to be big, dumb, and ridiculous. And it was. And I will say this. I think if people like Michael Bay and Roland Emmerich, if they would just um, say, you know what? I shouldn't be directing films. Why don't I just be a visual effects supervisor on people who can actually tell stories and uh, direct actors? Maybe that would make a better product. Yeah. Who, who's in that midway? Uh, Woody Harrelson. Isn't it? I thought uh, so. Okay. Yeah. I, I've seen the billboards for it around LA. Mm-hmm. And it, it looks like a film in a film. Like it looks like like a film in Seinfeld, like a made up, yes. like sack lunch. Oh, for sure. Not, not an actual yeah. film. Well, what fascinated me too is like there was actually an attempt to make it historically accurate. Like the characters portrayed in this movie like actually existed. But, you know, the directing and the storytelling is so... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sloppy. <laughs> that um, like there's this one amazing pilot who um, is able to bomb like, you know, successfully two Japanese aircraft carriers. But the way it's presented in the film, it's like, oh, well, that never happened. This is just Hollywood bullshit. And like so the actual things that happen are made to look ridiculous and silly because it's it's just presented in such a dumb <laughs> and inane way. It's a special so, skill. Yeah, it really is. I'm like, wow, how could you make things that actually happened make them feel like they never happened? <laughs> and, and and from the man that's so, like, accurately depicted, like, the alien invasion. Yeah, I know. I know. You would think that, uh, um, you know, and I think that one, Independence Day, was more historically accurate. Yeah. Than, uh, than this. <laughs> but it, it was really um, an odd thing where... You know, and I, I expected this from his film. Like, it's there's far more attention to detail about how something blows up, but the movie is so long that also he even gets lazy on how things blow up. I'm like, all right, well, I've seen that shot before. Now a plane is skidding off and falling into the ocean. You just use that shot again. I'm like, well, we still need to fill 30 minutes. Just reuse some of the art assets. So it really felt like that. We just got to kind of stretch this out. But I don't know why it should have been at least 30 minutes shorter. But I really feel like you know the key to making these movies a little more interesting because these guys are, you know, to give them where their talent lies is visual effects and how to um, layer it and how to make it look like a big spectacle. But if you actually have competent writers, directors and storytellers and telling the actors properly, you could actually make something far more interesting because you look at like, uh, um, if you compare another World War II movie to, uh, it like Saving Private Ryan. It was, you know, horrifying and visceral and brutal. But Spielberg also had a very fine eye to the special effects and the visual effects and how everything looks. So you, you can do everything. And sometimes if you use like two modern camera angles and like that sort of David Fincher, like yes. camera going around, it, mm-hmm. it looks like a cartoon. Like when it's depicting such like old, like you sort of have to film... In a retro style. And in a way mm-hmm. that it could be filmed, like, reasonably that in that era yeah. sort of thing. Like, mm-hmm. it's, like, I, I wonder if, like, when they make, like, that Maverick film, the, top, the new, new Top Gun, mm-hmm. like, if they'll, I hope they don't, if, like, any camera angles that sort of go into the cockpit, then right. out again, mm-hmm. and then into, like, yeah. a jet burner, and then it follows a missile, it's sort of like, right. it's, it's sort of not true to the experience, but right. when you've got angles like that, say, at the start of Revenge of the Sith, mm-hmm. with that big space battle, like, it sort of makes sense, like, in that genre sort of right. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got, I, I almost blew it with not bringing this up. I've got mm-hmm. huge news for you. Yes, please. So, um... Spoiler alert, everyone. Every episode of this podcast has ended with a phrase. And what is that phrase, Chris? Han shot first. Now, tell us how that, like, where does that come from? That comes from um, George Lucas re-editing the original classic Star Wars film to making it look like uh, Greedo shot first. So Han, instead of being a... Uh, notorious smuggler was just defending himself, which also gutted the character. Now, 
I've heard rumors that perhaps George Lucas went in again and made another change. Is this true, Steele? Well, George has done it several times. Mm-hmm. And when he, I think maybe the DVD came out, he changed that again. Because mm-hmm. it never made sense. Like, right. Han moved in this real digital yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. Greedo's arm doesn't work It looked properly. like some weird ghost image that uh, moved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it sort of, it, it almost looks some versions of it. Because then there was another Blu-ray version. It looks like a GIF. That someone's mm-hmm. just yes. altered. Like there's, there's that gif where the Death Star shoots and the planet moves out of the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It looked like that. Yeah. So they've got um, 4K versions of the Star Wars trilogy up on Disney+. Plus. Yes. And some, you know, eagle-eyed fan that straight away is like, I'm going in to watch Star Wars first, yes. is watching it. And in... This scene now, before Greedo shoots, he says, McClunky. Yes. <laughs> now, I'll see if I can play it. My dead body. And so yesterday morning, Oh, the internet went up, was a buzz. A blaze. And so mm-hmm. I quickly, you know, went to the, A New Hope. Oh, I do have to say Disney Plus. Like the movies have got bonus features and they have, there's so much unused Star Wars footage. There's like 10 minutes of black and white cantina footage. Oh, wow. Before they did all the reshoots to make it more dynamic. And that's up? Yeah. Oh, there's cool. like um, Aunt Beru just pouring blue milk. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, uh, there's like... Um, 10 minutes of like rebel pilots like getting filmed. But so on the original trilogy, go into the bonus features and there is like some sweet OG deleted scenes. Oh, cool. Um, there's even like the bigs scene at the end of star Wars that they added in for the special edition when red leader comes up and says, you'll be all right, kid. Yeah. But, um, in the longer version, he says, if you're anything like, I flew with your father once, if you're anything like him, you'll be great or something like that. Says his dad's like a great pilot. Oh, that was never really and, uh, implied yeah. uh, before. So mm-hmm. it, like you sort of wish they'd mm-hmm. put that line in as mm-hmm. well. But I, I, I don't know if they hesitated because it was before like the Phantom Menace came out and whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. But so um, – they were working on these 3D versions of the original trilogy and these 4K versions when Lucasfilm still owned Lucasfilm. I didn't know they were working on 3D versions. Yeah, well, they remember they did um, Phantom Menace. and it's Oh, like, oh they're, yeah, those I remember, yeah. Yeah, and it's sort of like they were going to do the whole thing, mm-hmm. but it kind of fizzled. It, right. it wasn't this big sort of box office thing. And so they, they held off. And, and also, like the next film up was the most criticised one of them all, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) So it's probably not a good um, bump in the road. So George Lucas, when he's working on these these new versions, added a little time bomb. Yes. For five years (laughs) into the Disney purchase (laughs) and he's edited it in this McClunky line. And (laughs) it sort of began when I watched it and then I'm on Twitter and everyone's like, what? And it just occurred to me like, there's no explanation for this except George Lucas. Yeah, that's it. Because if you say it's George Lucas, it's like, oh, yeah, oh, that makes perfect sense then. Because yeah. he does heaps of shit that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And, um, you know, like just like CGIing a rock in front of R2-D2 on the Blu-ray for no reason. Mm-hmm. Like it's just crazy. And um, so it was sort of like I was sort of just it has to be a George Lucas thing. Mm-hmm. He has to have been involved in this somehow. And then, yeah, it came out that they used the versions that, like, the last ones that George left them with, which right. was this 4K um, mm-hmm. upgrade. And that's got the McClunky thing. And what I love... And we don't even know what that means, like, translate. Oh, no, we do. Oh, we do. Sebulba says it in The Phantom Menace. And it's a bit of a... Um, it's it's something, a bit of, a, like, an FU sort of line. Oh, okay. Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. I yeah. thought it was just some kind of weird, random line that he added no no yeah so i, I didn't click i you know i i read that but um what i love about it is this there is i'm not sure you know like with your listenership and stuff but like like the star wars fandoms like very sort of well, every fandom at the moment just the way the world is and um it's very hostile mm-hmm. and you know there's this sort of big like 
backlash, like YouTube uh, led backlash against like Lucasfilm and Disney that they're like, they've ruined the films they love. And Mm -hmm. they kind of deny, they act like it used to be, they loved everything that George Lucas did. Right. And it was like, oh, there was no backlash to those films. And it's like, no, you're rewriting history. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I love that George Lucas left this little time bomb Mm -hmm. to go off just before the new film comes out <laughs> yeah. um, to say, yeah, remember when I just did a tiny little thing and- And like, you guys went crazy. You complained about it for like 10 years. Yeah. Like I, I just, it's so, it's like George Lucas says, it's poetry, it's all connected. He's got to be like a, some kind of time traveler where he could see all this, like, oh, I saw this happening 10 years ago. <laughs> and whose job is it? You know, cause I, 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 George Lucas is the type of billionaire that he's not on Twitter. No. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Leave that to your Bob Igers. Yeah. <laughs> Whose job is it? Or who goes up to him and says, hey, this McClunky thing, it's caused a real stir. <laughs> <laughs> what should we do about it? And then he just laughs and closes the door. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. And is I, this whole office made of $20 bills? <laughs> Yes, it is. That's hundreds. Yeah, boy. yeah, yeah. And uh, the floor is gold to blooms. <laughs> it's all made out of Mandalorian <laughs> Jurasteel. So, well, so definitely check out the Mandalorian. And uh, um, that is the episode, ladies and gentlemen. Now, Steel, you are um, going uh, back home for a couple of uh, weeks, right? Are you doing any touring? No, no, I'll be touring um, my parents' house. Yes. <laughs> my um, my mother-in-law's house, I'll be touring there. No, H- Held over? Yeah, I, I'm doing, um, yeah, it's a bit of real world stuff I have to mm-hmm. um, get done and taking Harry home for a little bit. But mm-hmm. we'll be podcasting all the way through. We're going to do... Um, Mandalorian sort of reviews, breakdowns, which you're going to be on one of the the can't, second episode. Can't wait. Sounds like a lot of fun. And that'll be on like on the podcast and on YouTube as well. And uh, yeah, check out the, the new episode of Steel Wars with Dominic Pace if you want to hear what it's like to be a Star Wars fan that becomes a bounty hunter and has to act in front of George Lucas. Yeah. Sounds pretty cool. <laughs> Sounds not bad. Yeah. Sounds not bad. <laughs> Well, um, friends, we want to thank you again for all the support over the years. And I want to just uh, also mention the Kickstarter again, Rise of the Kung Fu Dragon Master. If you're a fan of uh, comedy and you like the last one long ago and far away, action and uh, fantasy, it's a really fun kind of redemption story about a fight club fighter who uh, gets mixed up in the um, world of Chinese mythology and the the mystic battle between good and evil. And he's not really equipped to deal with it. So go to kickstarter.com. And uh, type in Rise of the Kung Fu Dragon Master or also go to the comedyfilmnerds.com uh, site and the, there's a link there. There's a lot of the higher end rewards are still left. One of the uh, rewards for being on the last Comedy Film Nerd show is gone, but there are two left. If you want to be on the last show, we'd love to have you. And uh, also there's some other great rewards like you can tour the Starburn Studios where you can see where Rick and Morty is made. There's digital libraries. And if you're a comic book creator uh, yourself, there's also rewards to help get your own book made. You can get consultants with anybody on the team. And then if you um, really want to spend a crazy amount of money, there's one tier at the end where uh, everyone on the team, myself, the editor, the the letterer and the artist, we will make your 20 page comic for you. Uh, in addition to you actually supporting us, then we uh, will help you get your stuff made. How much is that to you? So that is $10,000. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is, um, but the, um, the cons- consultations are only 500 bucks. So you could, uh, you could get a consultation and your art reviewed or writing reviewed, or even uh, learn how to pitch from uh, an editor from dark horse and Marvel. So you get like so, your full comic book made. Yes. Mm hmm. Interesting. Yep. Can you can you stand in the studio and just sort of like off the top of your head decide what's going to happen? Now in this one, make, <laughs> make, make him make him cut down the tree. You know what? If uh, you're going to do that tier, we will work at any pace you like. <laughs> A live comic booking. <laughs> yeah. You want to do every panel via Skype? We'll figure it out. <laughs> Excellent. But um, so, thanks so much for having us on the show over the years. I so appreciate it. Absolutely. And, and uh, the pod festival and all that. I, yes. I, I really appreciate how you guys sort of 
took us in mm-hmm. under under your um, American wings. Yes, we're the best wings in the world, yes, by the way. Happy to have you for sure. And, and um, I think I'm going to do a bit of a recap, sort of leading up to the end of the the sequel trilogy, and mm-hmm. maybe get you guys on to talk about the infamous uh, Force Awakens. Uh, reaction Bru- podcast. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that would be fantastic. And uh, that was something we'll always remember coming to uh, Australia and uh, watching the film and doing the podcast with you guys. That was so much fun. A, a true best and, night uh, ever. Yeah. And now you're going to be on the final show on December 12th. You're available? I am available. Excellent. So uh, Steel Saunders will be part of that guest list and it keeps growing. We also uh, got Tom Merritt from Daily Tech News Show. So it's going to be a lot of uh, really fun um uh, guests that will be there. So check it out. And don't forget December 12th at the dynasty typewriter theater at our final show. Well, thanks again, everybody. Uh, really appreciate it. I will be, uh, we will be talking to you next week. Um, and if Graham, if you're listening, I hope you're having great shows in Australia and, um, remember we'll say it together. Han, Han shot, shot first. first. And Greedo never shot. Yes. And uh, what was the other one? Krabumple. McClunky. 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 McClunky.